Uh, good morning. I'm Colby Kinzer, and, and as Jay mentioned, uh, District Superintendent, I want to explain what that phrase means. But first of all, the risotto last night was a little bit different than what I'm used to. So, all right. Uh, we are <clears throat> the Evangelical Free Church of America, which he avoided the word denomination because we are the most non-denominational denomination possible. But we are a movement. We are a collection of churches. And just to introduce you a little bit about the, the district, <clears throat> and first of all, our daughters, our Kenyan daughters, um, we are so proud of them. I've known them since they were little girls over in Kenya. We have uh, Betha, Meti, and Flo. The younger two are in college in South Carolina. The oldest is now in Phoenix as a, a therapist. Uh, so that's a part of our family. My wife, Lynn, could not be with us. Uh, her father's ailing, and so she's spending time with him as much as she can but uh, otherwise she would have loved to have been here. But back to the free church, we are uh, about 1,600 congregations across the U.S. And in all kinds of contexts, we exist to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. And as we begin to unpack that phrase, we could spend all day just on that phrase of how true that is and how we want that to be even more true than it is. But if you want to find out more about who we are, it's the efca.org. But also, as Jay mentioned, we are the Midwest District. There are 17 districts. We are one of them. The Midwest District is Nebraska and Kansas and the KC metro area. That's the area that I serve, and we have about 100 congregations across that. My churches that are the furthest apart are about 680 miles apart. So I, I uh, spend a lot of time in the car and, and learn how to optimize that time. But it's a, certainly a privilege. I've got a team. I've got a, a board of nine guys plus me that are fantastic, and then a ministry team, which I'll introduce you to in just a second. But our website there is efcamidwest.org. And a lot of resources, especially for staff and elders and that sort of thing. So uh, we try to put as much information on our website as can help you. But uh, this is my team. These are people, maybe you know some of these folks. Uh, Bill Green is just over in Lyons, not very far away. But all of these guys, uh, except one exception, are full-time pastors in their churches, and they have some time they give to the district according to their specialty. I'm not going to go through that list, but just know that we have people who can serve your church in all kinds of ways, in worship ministry, in all people's ministry, um, all kinds of things that we can do. Uh, right now, the worship ministry, they have this traveling workshop for worship leaders called Roots and Rhythm. And uh, they're doing that. They did the second one yesterday. I haven't heard how it went, but the first one was a, was a great success. Uh, particularly designed for part-time and volunteer worship leaders, but full-timers would also get a lot of benefit. So if there's any need that this church has, we exist. We enjoy serving you as we have put together. Uh, by the way, Jay, don't ever have a vision statement this long. This, this, is, this is bad for a church, but it's good for us. The first half is our vision as a team. What we want to see is multiplying healthy uh, congregations, and not just churches, but even congregations. And so maybe a, a minority culture congregation within a larger church. We want to see multiplication happen in all kinds of ways. But we are, what we can do is we delight in serving churches to see their vision, find their vision, and explore their vision, and then to be better together. And so that's, that's what we do I have, as you'll see as we get into the passage today, I have zero authority in my position. We, we jokingly say I'm like a bishop without the authority and respect. 
Because I, I, I don't want that authority. I don't, I don't want a pastor to feel like their job's on the line when I walk in the door. So I can come alongside and serve elders and serve churches and serve pastors and, and be their advocate rather than to be anybody's boss. And so I, I wouldn't have stepped into this position if I had authority. So, and I've been doing this about a year and a half. I'm still learning the ropes. We had fun in Sunday school this morning. I appreciate that. We're going to be getting into God's Word together. I want to start with a question. Let's get to that next set of slides if we would. There we go. You're talking with someone at the store or at work or when you're traveling, and somehow it comes out, maybe you let it slip, that you're an evangelical. And they say, oh, you're an evangelical. You're one of those. That must mean you, and then they fill in the blank. That must mean you vote a certain way. Oh, you're evangelical. That must mean you hate such and such. Oh, you're evangelical. That means you're judgmental. And, and that word becomes almost a, a liability. We might even hesitate to use the word. Should I, should I even say the word? Because it, it doesn't mean what we think that it means. So we want to explore what that word means, evangelical, and what the word free actually means, as we are the evangelical free church of America. But this is not a rah-rah denominational sermon. This is a sermon I could preach in any evangelical church. It just happens to have two key words that are very valuable to us in particular. So please turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. That was a lot of scripture reading, so how much time do I have, Jay? Five minutes. All right, all right. Amen. Okay. Okay, as as until I get hungry cuz lunch is coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is was read and as you're turning there, we learn in the book of Acts that Paul in his second missionary journey went through Thessalonica. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea and and he got kicked out of Thessalonica. When they got there, they said these these guys are upsetting the world with their teaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so some got jealous, the word says, and booted them out. So they kept going south. They ended up in Athens and then eventually in Corinth. And then from Corinth, we believe, is where Paul wrote this letter back to the Thessalonians that they'd planted a church there. And the scripture was read. And so I just want to dive in to verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the guys who were with him when he went through earlier, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So he says, grace and peace to who? Whom? The church. And, and I'm praying for whom? The, the church. But who is the church? And by definition, then, who is not the church? And, and 2020, the year 2020, gave us a great opportunity to ask this question anew. Who is the church? What does it mean to be the church? Because we're not together in a building on a Sunday morning. So did the church go away? Who, who, who is not in the church? Who are we as the church? What is that identity? What does that word actually mean? But not only who are we, but what do we do? What does the church do? What are the activities that a church should do to be the church? Those two questions as he writes to the church that he planted in Thessalonica. 
not only who are we, but what do we do? What is our identity and what is our lifestyle? And we get some clues in the next few verses. Verse 3, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and your labor of love and the perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, our God and Father. So we, we learn from there that our identity is, is we are the people who have faith in Christ. We're the people who have a, a, a love of Christ and we have a perseverance of hope in Christ. Faith, hope, and love. The three hippie words. We have those. That's us. And they're all in Christ. So it gives us a few cues. Uh, verse 4, knowing brothers and sisters. There we are. We're brothers and sisters. Whatever we are, we're like family and beloved by God. We're God's beloved like a family. He's our Father. From verse 3. So it's a little bit of who we are. But we go back to those hippie words. It's not just faith, hope, and love. There's action. It's not just who we are, but our lifestyle. What we do. It's not just faith. It's your work of faith. It's not just love. It's your labor of love. It's not just your hope. It's your endurance. Your perseverance of hope. So there's also a do element. There's a lifestyle element. There are things that we are and things that we do to be the church. Being evangelical is not separated from the evangelical life. A lot of people say, well, I, I, I believe evangelical things. That's not sufficient. It's what we do, but along with also who we are. But the key words are coming up, verse 4, knowing brothers and sisters, beloved by God, His choice of you. You are called. There are some who are not called. They are not the church. We are chosen by God. Whatever that means, He's called us. Whatever that means, and that separates us from everyone else. There are the called and the not called. The chosen and the not chosen. I'm not sure how that works, but the Scripture says that it's true. So, part of our identity is being called by God, but called how? Verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit. With full conviction, we're called by the gospel. We are of a certain nature, us evangelicals. We have a certain identity. We have a certain lifestyle. There's who we are and what we do. And it has everything to do with the word gospel. That's the key word, gospel. I don't do a, a lot of talking about the original language, but in this case it matters. That Greek word is the word euangelion, from which we get the word evangel. Or we get the word evangelical. So by definition, this word, this evangel, defines who we are. We're called by this gospel. If we are to be evangelical, it comes from the evangel, which as we know, means what? Good news. We are good news people that's our definition and our lifestyle because without the good news without the gospel without the euangelion we are not evangelical it, it's almost you can't have it any other way just by the word itself 
Everything has to do with this word. We cannot be true evangelical people without being gospel people. We can't be evangelical people without being good news people. Not only in our identity, but in also how we live. That's what makes us euangelion people, evangel people, evangelical. We can't live the evangelical life without the gospel. And so, to sum that up, evangelicals, first of all, are called to be good news people. Nothing else. We are called to be good news people, not politics. You read the New York Times, and when they use the word evangelical, what do they mean? Political view. A political group, a voting block. That's, that's the definition that is common among the media. Evangelicals are mostly a voting block of people. That has nothing to do with the good news. That does not define who we are. Some people think the word evangelical means that we hate something. And it's whatever is close to them. We happen to hate whatever is close to them. That is not good news, and therefore that's not what it means to be evangelical. Some people say that, that by being evangelical, we're automatically judgmental. That's not good news. So that can't be what defines us according to Scripture. It may describe our behavior, but it doesn't describe us biblically. Not those things. So how do people get the wrong idea? How, how do they get it so wrong? Well, Sometimes we help them. Sometimes we live like being evangelical is a voting definition. Sometimes we live like it's what we hate. Sometimes we live like judgmental people. And so sometimes we, we give them the wrong idea. So I can't really blame them too much for having the wrong idea. I don't expect them to understand euangelion. What do they have to go on? Us! So if they have the wrong idea, maybe, maybe we have some responsibility. In that. So when they use the word evangelical, they do not mean gospel. When they use the word evangelical, they don't mean good news. But when I use the word, what do I mean? That's the question I'm responsible for. The other thing that's true in Scripture about evangelicals, the next logical statement is that we find our life in the good news. To, to answer this question, my life is nothing without Christ, gospel, the news of Christ. That's, that's the right answer, but that always how I think of myself. Sometimes I think I'm nobody without my politics. Or sometimes I think I'm, I'm nothing without my possessions. I'm, I'm nothing without my wife. I'm nothing, and, and none of that's really my identity. My identity. I'm nothing without the Gospel. Without the Gospel, I'm nothing. And your church, without the Gospel, your church is nothing. I don't care how good the potluck is later. Without the Gospel, that's nothing. And in our, our church in California, we would say pot sovereign, by the way. It's not a potluck, but potluck's easier. I just go with that. It's our purpose. And in fact, as we learn, our mission. Our very mission is the gospel. It's our identity. It's what we do as people, as a church. My life would be fine without politics. 
My life would be fine without that fleshly desire to hate. My life would be fine without ever being judgmental. My life would not be fine without the gospel. Right. Where I find my life. My per- Why am I alive? Why does this church exist? Of Jesus. So if we are called to be good news people, we find our life in the good news. Now moving to verse 6. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. The news of your faith toward God has gone out so that we have no need to say anything. We have our life transformed by the good news. It's what we're called to be. It's where we find our life and purpose, but it's also it's what transforms us. Not just my identity, but my lifestyle. Not just who I am, but what I do. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That describes more than just a belief system. They were doing something different. They imitate it. They live a certain way because their life was transformed by the Gospel. We are transformed and we are called by the Gospel. We are called through the Gospel. We are called for the Gospel. And our lives are transformed by the Gospel. It's more than just our ten articles of our statement of faith. We can't just say, I believe evangelical things without saying I live an evangelical life. And, and, and that's, that's a good news life, by the way. That's a gospel life. Not a moral life. That's different. Hopefully not that different. But a good news life and a moral life are not exactly the same thing. I can live a moral life without living a good news life. I'm a good news person. And so my lifestyle should be a good news kind of life transformed by the Gospel. It says in verse 4, you received this Gospel. God chose you. God, Not verse 4. He said that uh, verse 6, I think. Yeah, verse 6. But it's verse 4. He said God chose you. He called you. But then you received it. How does that work together? I don't know. It says it in the Word. God chose, God called, but also we received, we chose, and we are transformed by this. And then in verse 7, they begin to then become an example to other people. So they imitated Paul and his group, and now other people are starting to imitate them. They're becoming an example. And so now their transformed life, they're sharing their transformed life as good news. You see the progression. We're called. That's where we find our life. We find our lives transformed. And now we share our transformed lives as good news itself. Look what Jesus has done in my life. That's good news. I'm not going to keep it to myself because my lifestyle is a good news lifestyle. In the next chapter, verse 8, Paul says, like a nursing mother caring for her own children, verse 7 and 8, with such affection for you, we were happy to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you'd become dear to us. Our actions, our attitude, our example. 
the, the world was telling the Thessalonians, don't have joy. They still had joy. Why? And now they're sharing that with others. Good news. And verse 9. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. In the rear view mirror are idols. Through the windshield is Jesus who's coming back. And now we live a life motivated by the good news. You see, there's good news because there's also bad news coming. The wrath of God. That's bad news. The good news is it doesn't have to affect you. It doesn't have to capture you. It doesn't have to win over you. That's the good news. But we believe that there's good news and there's good news for everyone. It's not just the good news for people in the West. It's not just people in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the news for everyone. It's good news for everyone. There is no other good news. Your really, really, really nice neighbor who doesn't know Jesus the fact that they're really, really nice is not the good news. There's only one set of good news, and it's Jesus. And because the wrath of God is coming, because bad news is coming, I now live life motivated by the good news because bad news is coming. I have an urgency with the good news because there is bad news. So, you're an evangelical? Are we going to let them define what that word means? Because it means this. I'm called to be a good news person. I find my life in the good news. My life is transformed by the good news. I share my transformed life as good news. My life is motivated by good news. And, and people say, well, maybe we should get rid of the word evangelical because it has such a bad rap in certain circles. And I th- okay, fine. Find me a better word first. There's no better word to describe who we are and what we do. There's no better word to describe our identity and our lifestyle. We are good news people. And I want to keep that word personally. And so when someone asks you, oh, you're evangelical? That must mean whatever. I have two questions that you can ask. If someone uses that word in a disparaging way, first question, very friendly, very earnest, very honest, is, well, when you use the word evangelical, what do you mean by that? And don't disagree. Don't argue. Don't roll your eye. What, what do you, just what, when you say that word, what do you mean? And they can describe it for you, what they mean by that word. And it will not mean this. And that's okay. That's how they're using the word. Second question. Would you like to know what I mean when I use the word? And if they say yes, you can share the good news of Jesus Christ. They just gave you permission to hear what the gospel means. And if they say no, then respect them and move on. They're not going to hear you anyway. 
So it can actually become a, an opportunity to share the good news. So that's the word evangelical. What does this word free mean? Does that mean you don't need to put anything in the offering plate? Jay says, Let's go to the Galatians, if you would. <clears throat> Chapter 5. And, and Galatians, there's, there's this region in modern-day central Turkey that, that Paul went through every time he went on a missionary journey. He went through this region of Galatia. And there were some teachers who came in who were teaching a, a more of a works-based kind of, of theology. And they were buying it. And so Paul writes this letter of correction to them. And they were, they were going back to some, some Jewish practices as if that's what's necessary. I'm driving the cameraman crazy. I'm sorry. I'll stay put. You've got to do this and believe in Jesus. You've got to do this and believe in Jesus. And, and Paul's saying, no, that's not the gospel. And, and getting to chapter 4, verse 9, a little bit before what we're going to read, uh, Paul says to them, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles to which you want to be enslaved all over again. Do you want to be free? Or do you want to be enslaved? Is Paul's question. They were choosing something other than free. So that's how we're going to focus on this word free. Chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom... That Christ set us free. We got the word twice there. It's for the sake of freedom that you were set free. You were set free in order to be set free. It's its own purpose. God set you free so that you could be free. Evangelicals have been set free in Christ. That's who we are. That's our state. You are set free from the power of sin. It's no longer your master. You're a slave to your master. Sin's no longer your master. You're free. You are set free from the penalty of sin. You don't have to suffer the wrath of God. You are set free even from the presence of sin. When Jesus returns, we will be with Him where there is no more sin. So we are set free from the power and the penalty and the presence of sin. And that's just three examples of what we're set free in. We are free to be good news people, and that's good news. But, verse 1, second part, therefore. This is what's true about you. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Because we're set free... Live a certain way. Because you've been set free to be free, live this way. Stand firm. Don't be enslaved to a yoke of slavery ever again. Live a certain way. Again, who we are, but also what we do. What our identity is, what our lifestyle is. Both. We've been set free in Christ, but to live a certain way in Christ. Let's skip to verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. So we are called to be free. Just like we were called to be evangelical people, good news people, we are called to be free people. We are called for this. We are summoned by name 
from heaven to be free. Isn't that amazing? That God called out your name. If you're in Christ, He called out your name so that you would be free. That's pretty amazing. We're called to live this way and be this way. But only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. We are called to be free, but we're not called to be free agents. To do whatever we want. That's what we think freedom is. I can do whatever I want. My friends, if you are living according to the flesh, doing whatever you want, you're not free. You're a slave to your flesh. The only way to be free is to be free from all of that. To be in Christ. To live a certain way. To be good news people. Not using that as an opportunity for the flesh. We are free from the flesh as well. And then, continuing on, we are finally free to be the church. Listen to this. But, instead of that, this. Serve one another through love. That's church. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's church. But if you bite and devour one another, that's not church, take care that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, church, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're finally free to be the church. If I'm free, I can now serve you. But if I'm not free, I've got to look out for myself. And I'm not free to serve you completely. I've got to look out for me first. If I'm not free, I'm not going to love you like I should. Like the church ought. I'm not free to do that if I'm not free. I'm going to bite and devour you if I'm not free. I'm, I'm not free to build you up and, and to be led by the Spirit. If I'm not free, the Spirit can't lead me. He won't force me. So I need to be free in order to be the church. And now we can finally be the church. We're finally free to be the church. Amen. And then I'm going to skip a little bit to, to 2 Peter 2, 6, 1 Peter 2.16. Act as free people. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. Act as free people to be bondservants of God. We are finally free to be slaves of Christ. Which sounds funny. You're now free to be a slave. But I don't look at it that way. I finally get to be a slave of Christ. That's the greatest position ever. I finally get to be that. We finally get to do that. If you're not free in Christ, you can't be His slave. But now I get to be the slave of Jesus Christ. That's the best position ever. And I finally get to be that because I've been free to do so. So a brief history of the free church, if you're not familiar. A bunch of people in Scandinavia were under the state church. They were not free. And so one of the reasons they came to the U.S. in the 19th century was to be free in their worship of who God is. 
how they believed God is. They were escaping the, the state Lutheran church and in some parts the state Catholic church. And, and they were finally have good news to be free, good news people together. And we are free in Christ to believe or not believe. In Scandinavia, they fled the state church who told them what to believe. They were not free to not believe. And so freedom means we are free to not believe. But that's why we have something called evangelism. We have evangelism because we're free to not believe. They were free now to self-govern. The church was, was controlling the churches. They wanted to be free to have what we call church autonomy with the congregational rule and elders leading in some cases. And, and, and people like me have no authority. And that's great. It's, the reason I have no authority is because what we believe about what it means to be free. And so now we have something called membership because you need membership to self-govern. To be free and autonomous, you need membership to self-govern. That's why we have membership. That's the main reason, in my opinion. We are free to obey Christ without coercion. There was coercion on how people lived. They would tell people. And so now it's an internal conviction, not an external conviction. But since it's now to be an internal conviction to freely serve Christ, we now have something called discipleship. We have discipleship because we're free to be internally coerced to follow Jesus, internally committed to follow Jesus, to be good news people with one another. You can associate with whatever church family you want. You're free. They didn't have that freedom in Scandinavia. They were told, based on where they lived, what church they would go to. But now that you're free to associate with any church family you want to or not, we believe in something that we are better together. You're free to associate, so let's freely associate with each other. And that's, that's a, the core of who we are as a movement, is we freely associate with each other. It's part of our freedom. We believe we are better together. Sometimes I, I jokingly say my job is to herd feral pastors. Because we're free. So we're better together. So you have been called by God to be both free and evangelical. If you are in Christ, this is true of you. Summoned by name from heaven to be both. We believe these truths so firmly. It defines who we are. But again, I could preach this sermon in any evangelical church. But this explains why the pre-church is so weird. In a way that I love. You're part of a movement of being free and evangelical. You're called to be both, but the world, some people in the world don't want you to be either. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to be evangelical. We are free in Christ to be good news people together. So, in summary, our life is found only in the good news of Jesus Christ. Our life can be transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. We can share our transformed lives as good news, motivated by the good news, and we're finally free to be the church and slaves of Christ. You, church, are called to this. You, church, are called to be this. You, church, are called to do this by the Gospel of Jesus Christ as good news people. You're free to live a good news life. Pray. Father, there may be some people here this morning that are not yet free in Christ. 
not yet responded to and transformed by the good news. And so first and foremost, we pray for anyone here this morning that has not yet accepted the free gift of eternal life by the forgiveness of sins, by what Jesus did on the cross and rising from the dead on the third day to defeat sin and death and to set us free, to be free. There's good news. Father, we're here today because many of us have been transformed by the Gospel and some here wish that they could be. And then, Father, we pray for the city. So many people who are facing the wrath of God, no matter how nice they are. Father, may this church and other churches who preach the Gospel be good news churches in who they are and in what they do. That we may rescue some. We need Your power. So we ask for it in Jesus.